Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you believe it? White Wine Question Time is playing live in the West End of London at the Leicester Square Theatre, and we would love you to come and join us. Come and raise a glass on the 9th of October when we reunite the cast of Grange Hill, childhood legends, back on stage for the first time. Todd Carty will be there, who was famously Tucker. We've got Zamo, Lee McDonald, and Faye. Alison Bettles will be with us too. Plus, on the 13th of November, we've got the cast of Dumb Breeding. Joining me on stage will be Julie Graham, Alison Newman, Tracy Ann Oberman, Tamsin Outhwaite, Angela Griffin, and Denise Welsh. We'll be raising our glasses from four till six. Why not come and pop your court with us? Tickets are available now from Ticketmaster, Live Nation, wherever you get your tickets. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. But we are recording this very early in the morning, so we're going to stick with the coffee today, if that's okay. Just a little heads up, this episode contains rather strong language. Now, my guest this week is a stand-up comedian, actress and author who went viral after Madonna posted one of her sketches as newsreader Susan from The Mash Report, which opened with the line, women have told everyone to just fuck off. Tired of being judged for choosing to have children or not have children, to have children and go back to work, to have children and not go back to work for being too thin, too fat, too pushy, too unambitious, too hot, not hot enough, or just daring to be alive. Women have stressed that everyone can go fuck themselves. See, you can see why Madonna loved her and why over 128 million people have viewed that sketch. In line with that kind of straight talking, she's just released her first book, My Child and Other Mistakes, How to Ruin Your Life in the Best Way Possible, having become a parent three years ago to a little girl with her husband, Australian CNN news reporter Phil Black. Born and raised in Essex, she worked briefly as a model before diverting her attentions into becoming an events planner until in 2011 when she decided to sign herself up for Show Me the Funny, a talent search for aspiring unknown stand-ups who were judged by some of comedy's biggest names and she was voted off in week six by Cannon and Ball. Since then, she's been on BBC Two's MASH Report, is a regular on Mock the Week and 8 out of 10 Cats and has also starred in Plebs, Family Tree with Chris O'Dowd and most recently as the incredibly sassy sassy in Apple TV's Ted Lasso. So let's dial her up. It's Ellie Taylor. Cheers. 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 So how's your morning been? It's, it's a Friday morning as we're speaking. Um, you've done the nursery drop. Husband did nursery drop today. Nice. Um, yeah, nice. I've been doing some work bits this morning. Um, 
and yes and then we'll be doing some stuff this afternoon picking up the child and then I'm away for a few days for work so I'm going to be sucking up to my daughter and uh, trying to buy her love the usual (laughs) (laughs) standard working parent behavior (laughs) hey I've been um loving you on lasso oh I'm so pleased thank you so much yeah I love it it's a lovely show um and I'm delighted to be a little tiny part of it it's a real treat uh she's called sassy and she certainly is and uh we had hannah on a couple of weeks ago um and she was talking about you know sassy and that great female friendship that they share uh how did you end up on ted lasso well it was just one of those millions of auditions that i end up going for and i i i can i can actually remember it because i was a, i was a bit pissed off because it was a very long way across london and i was like well here we go i'm gonna waste half a day, traipsed into the arse end of nowhere to do something and then not get the job, like always, because obviously with acting, you just get a million no's. Um, yeah. And uh, went along and did it. And then, yes, got got a yes. And that was a bit, uh, was a bit what? Sorry, what? So that was lovely. Um, and then it all, you know, had no idea what it was. No one did. Um, turned up to film my scenes. And I still didn't really have a handle on exactly what the show was. And I'd only ever sort of seen, you know, I'd sort of seen my stuff. I didn't know what anything else was going on in the series. So um, when it came out on Apple again, it was, you know, no one knew what it was, what it was about. And I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if I'd done that great. So I thought I just, I won't mention it. I won't tell anyone that I'm in it. It's fine. Just let it go onto the radar. And then everyone's, everyone started watching it and everyone was talking about it. And then I was like, well, I should probably get Apple TV to have a look at this thing. Um, so <laughs> you not even no, watched, and watched it. it. And then I uh, saw it and was like, oh, it's really good. Oh, it's really good. And I was like, oh, well, I saw my scenes and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm okay. Okay, this is good. This is okay. Um, You're and, really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really chuffed with it. And it's just, yeah, it's just such a fun character to get to play. Um, and it's such a lovely cast. And Hannah is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And I, that sounds like I'm exaggerating and being a, like a media lovey, but she like, I think I'm in love with her. I th- honestly think she's like one of the best people in the world. She's she genuinely is isn't amazing. She? She's amazing. I love her. She's more than a triple threat. She just does everything. And she's so funny and lovely and beautiful and interested in everyone and kind. And oh yeah, let's just talk about Hannah for an hour. Let's do that, mate. <laughs> she's so talented. Anyway, we digress. How's the response been to your book? Oh, do you know what? really lovely and I'm really chuffed so yes so it's um it came out a few weeks ago now months ago anyway it's out and it's doing well um yeah I got into yeah I was Sunday Times bestseller I can say I'm a Sunday Times bestseller stay up there for three weeks just absolutely delighted um and more than that I mean that in itself is um, I can die happy but the response I've had from um other parents mostly women mums have just been it's just been amazing and it's been so gorgeous to think that my book can act like, I don't know, like a little cuddle, like a little like sisterly arm around you, like a good chat with a mate, especially when women are in the darkest bits of, you know, the newborn days. Mm. So my book sort of charts the story of me deciding to get pregnant when I wasn't very maternal, um, having a pregnancy, having a birth the newborn days and sort of what your life looks like afterwards. It's sort of a, it's quite linear really. Um, but I think um, it's, it's sort of a, the untold 
story in a way, because obviously everyone, everyone has a blooming kid. People are popping them out all over the shop. In that regard, it's really well, not a very interesting story. But I think... Well, not everyone, but you're kind of writing it for people that are sort of, shall we, shan't we? Or yeah, I'm about yeah, to, or ju- I'm thinking of doing yeah, this. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that it's such a common occurrence. Like, it's really not an extraordinary thing to do. It's the most <laughs> boring, right. you know, mundane, predictable life choice that you can make. And yet... For every person who does make that decision, while it's as interesting as watching paint dry to everyone else, for you, having when a you're kid, in it. it's extraordinary and your life implodes. And for me, it's the most profound thing that's ever happened to me. So I think writing a book about that very ordinary, under sort of underrepresented in a way, but also extraordinary experience is what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, to have, to have women saying that, you know, it, it, it they, they, they feel they are represented. They feel, they feel seen by reading it is is wonderful. That kind of brings me to one of my three questions for you. Because you're known for being funny and your book is super funny because it's so honest. It's almost a bit like, oh my God, I thought that, but I don't know if I'd ever be brave enough to say it. <laughs> um, so parking the funny, I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about the honest bits, the bits that um, will provide proper comfort for people that feel like, they can't say things out loud mm. for fear of judgment. Mm. So if you could pick just two searingly honest passages from the book that you would sort of hope to to hand to would-be parents as some kind of legacy, what would they be? Uh, I would think the first one would be that um, the, the experience of uh, having a child and loving your child can be completely separate. So you can love your child. Or at the beginning for me, it wasn't really love. It was like, I liked my child. Um, but that can be totally separate from the experience of hating the newborn period. I despised it. And there's a bit in the chapter, in the bit in the newborn chapter where I say that the newborn <laughs> bit sucks. Fucking hairy, sweaty <laughs> bum. It is absolute bullshit. And I wanted to leave my baby. I wanted to walk away from it. And I just wanted to have a walk around River Island and just have five minutes fucking peace because the newborn bit is fucking awful. And I think to be able to say that and to be able to say that if you are in it and you feel like that, it's okay. And if you are, you know, if you have a 16 year old and you reflect back on your newborn days and you feel guilty because you didn't enjoy it, that's also okay. Okay, I release you from that guilt. It's absolutely fine and very normal. Don't beat yourself up for not going, oh, it was the most magical time in the newborn bubble. It's rubbish. A lot of it is absolutely rubbish. So that... I'd like to say. And then I suppose also um, how sometimes you can... Can I just ask though, just about that bit, like, you know, you say it's really, really rubbish. What what aspects of it did you find so appalling? Because I think me- I wasn't prepared for the mental adjustments that it takes to become a mum. It's not like you shoot out a child and suddenly you are earth mother. It's a real period of transition. So I learned subsequently a word called matrescence, which is um, in the same way uh, adolescence speaks about the period between ch- uh, being a child and being an adult. And it's a process and it's on a hormonal thing. And it's a physical change. It's something that cannot be reversed. It's the same between, you know, being a woman going through matrescence and becoming a mother. And that's not something I'd ever heard spoken about. And it rang bells for me because I was like, of course that was. I was in such a period of flux and felt so weird. And my body was strange. And I was trying to get my head around these strange new feelings and emotions and trying to work out who I now was in this new life. Um, So 
so I think that's 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 what I found hard in that I wasn't prepared for that. I was prepared for the baby won't sleep and you will be tired, but not really like what the real emotional um, sort of psychological, I suppose, impact it would be on me. Yeah, I described it at the time um, in terms of my physical and emotional self. I felt like a stranger in my own head and and body. And part of it, and it depended which way the hormones were blowing. So sometimes I'd run down the stairs to answer the door and I could feel my postpartum belly sort of jiggling as I did. And some days I could love it, for example, because I would think, my body's extraordinary. It's grown life. And once you watch your body come out of yours, I mean, seriously, that is mind-blowing. And you do have this massive, profound new respect for your body. And then the next day... The hormones could be blowing the other way and you could just feel like somebody put a fat suit on you and you want to get it off and you just don't know who you are anymore. And and it's like being burgled and you try and put everything back as it was, but you still know that somebody's been in rummaging around and moved shit. (laughs) That is exactly it. That is so spot on. Yeah. I remember just being sort of sat in front of the telly with a baby feeding on me, watching like Gogglebox and being like, how can Giles and Mary talk about Bradley Walsh like everything is normal when my life has fucking imploded and I'm trying to work out (laughs) who the hell I am? And I remember like being sort of running through things in my head. Like, is, is this what I say? Do I say this stuff? Do I like that? Do like who, do you know what I mean? Like trying to play, you're sort of playing the character of who you were before while you, yeah, while you transition into this new body. And yeah, the physical aspect I found hard, find hard as well because it's sort of you look in this mirror and you've got used to this big full um, if you know if you carried mm. your baby um uh full of life and there you are you're so sort of vital and you know just swollen with i don't know you feel like a goddess i'm speaking for myself i know you not do, all women yeah. feel like that crazy but that's that's certainly how i felt and then afterwards you're just like sort of deflated and wobbly and i had a cesarean so i had a big scar and it, you just look at yourself in the mirror and just think who is yeah who is that that's not my body that's not my body yeah it just does it just doesn't feel like, I, I felt like you know like at the end of a 14 day holiday the lilo's on its last legs that was my body yeah it was like a sort of it was a defeated lilo yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i know exactly what you mean and i remember like trying but then to- i'd hate myself for thinking that and think you know wait for the wind to change the other way because i think you are so hormonal especially if you're breastfeeding mm. and you get those that massive rush of milk coming in and you're quite blue and and all and you just don't recognize anything you leave that hospital and you're like no one's actually told me what to do next now and help help exactly yeah so i think i think in hindsight i probably had some sort of postnatal depression but i didn't yeah. kind of realize that till i think really writing the book made me go oh yeah i think that's probably what it was just sort of give my and sort of allow myself to say that because i think while i was feeling like that i thought well, it's not postnatal depression you know don't don't be that dramatic mm. But now I feel like it feels quite nice to be able to say, oh, no, I think that probably was what it was. And that's OK. You weren't being dramatic. You weren't being weak. Um, it, it was what it was. No. Mm. But I think when you're in it, it's hard to see that that's what it is. Reflecting and writing a book is probably really cathartic to be able to kind of review. If all women could do that, I would really. And I feel so lucky that I've had the time. You know, it was my job mm. for a while to literally record and order my thoughts. And I did it was extremely cathartic and really sort of freeing and liberating to sort of, you know, I've got it and I've documented exactly what my experience was. 
And I've said to my friends, just write down your birth experience, just write it down because all these sort of fleeting half memories and emotions that you haven't stitched together and sort of, you know, really processed. I think it's so helpful and sort of healing to be able to Mm. do that. Yeah, definitely. And also it's the strangest time in your life. So to record it, um, not the strangest, it can be the most extraordinary, but it is a strange time, right? It's a massive transition. Strange sounds like a negative and it's not. It's a huge transition. You are never after that moment just responsible for yourself like that in itself is massive and to note that and document it is probably really lovely thing to do but at the time you're just like I'm asleep with my eyes open don't talk to me yeah I'm not writing anything down yeah yeah Yeah. of course yeah and I'm yeah but I'm so glad I've done it and I'm so glad it's sort of a record for me and my daughter Mm. if she can ever be asked to read something her annoying mother has written (laughs) But if she does, I hope that she realises it's just about honesty and it's really, it's sort of a love letter to her really because as hard as it all is, um, I'm so glad. And so I wasn't sure if I wanted kids and so I'm so glad I've, I had a child and it's just, it is the most, and I said, I've already said this, but it really is the most profound thing that's ever happened and I've, I'm just delighted and it's, it makes me like the strong, it makes me feel so strong having her, but also it makes you so, so vulnerable, doesn't it? To have there's yeah. that quote about having your heart walking outside your body. And I think, especially if she's getting older, I really realise that because, you know, as she yeah. has more autonomy and I go, oh God, don't climb on that wall. That sort of thing. Just, yeah. yeah, it's terrifying and magical. They are your greatest joy, but they bring to, to with them this kind of whole new level of fear that you never knew. <laughs> you thought you'd had anxiety before. Yeah. Have a child and watch them cross a road for the first time on their own I mean when my son started walking to school on his own and I did record this because it was like some sort of French farce I would I would follow him and hide behind trees <laughs> how old was he he was in year six so it was the year oh, before we went to right. secondary school I'd like to work I'd like to point out that it's one straight road from our house to his school sure. and it's a seven minute walk yeah um but I still and then on the third day he just turned around and he went you've got to stop this <laughs> Oh, God, busted, mother. He was indulging me. He's like, mum, that's enough now. I'm fine. Okay. (laughs) And and finally, one more just kind of, you know, honest takeaway for would-be parents from the book. Uh, That um, sometimes your relationship with your child feels like you're in some kind of toxic relationship because... they they sort of gaslight you they change their mind sudden mood swings like you do not like you do not know where you stand I'm in toddler days right now so that's probably why that's so keenly yeah in front of my brain it's um yeah and it can be magical and horrific within the space of 30 seconds and it can flip-flop like that through like 20 times a day um and then you sometimes get like at the moment it's like my daughter's sunshine has come out I mean I'm waiting for the next some I don't know leap or something then she'll go mad again but she's been a delight lately but I, I don't know I really appreciate when her sunshine <laughs> is out because you think anytime the storm is approaching and you never quite know where you stand do you <laughs> me and my husband just said that the other day we were like we photo all the lovely bits but we should photo some of her tantrums because we will you know they are they are very funny they are very funny aren't they when they're literally like doing a classic stereotype of laying down on the floor <laughs> I don't want fish fingers. You literally just ask for fish fingers. Like, what is what is your problem? <laughs> <laughs> and you can you you devote hours of your life to negotiating pointless nonsense. 
oh yeah, we had a big thing today. She wanted, to, she didn't want to go into nursery. She didn't want to, want to go in. In the end, the way it sort of I bargained her into the car was if she got in the car, she was allowed to carry with her Stanley Tucci's cookbook. Um, <laughs> so she went to nursery holding that. So there you, and that was all fine. That that ironed over all the all the cracks. <laughs> That's why sometimes it's great to get back to work and really use your brain in ways that you're used to. (laughs) Very true, very true. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Question number two. Um, Madonna made you go viral and then you went viral again all by yourself in 2015 with your post, uh, which was kind of a collection, a collage of pictures of yourself in anti-motherhood poses as a response to Facebook's motherhood challenge where women were posting images that kind of, you know, showed all the best aspects and happy bits of being a mom. And you decided that, no, actually, I'm going to show you pictures of me cradling a bottle of wine, sleeping. (laughs) endlessly yeah <laughs> just yeah. taunting basically taunting um taunting anybody that was trying to bask in their motherhood glory um i wondered if you could go viral again what would you like it to be for and why oh what would i like it to be for because hmm. actually both times you've gone viral You've been really having a voice for women, challenging very traditional viewpoints yeah. and throwing it back at people. So, I, you know, so and I, I thought it was really important that not every woman wants to, you know, be a mum. And you didn't at that yeah, time. Yeah. So, yeah, that was before I had a kid. So it's when I saw loads of people doing the motherhood challenge on Facebook. So I thought I'd just do the opposite. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't trying to be horrible. It was just doing it because she just got a bit nuts. I just saw these lovely. Yeah. All right. Great. You've had a lovely time seeing Father Christmas. Chill out. Um, so I just thought I'd do, do, do the opposite. Um, and I still stand by that. I think the way I, you know, the, the material I write now is still sort of in that vein, in that voice. Um, uh, yeah, and it would definitely, what would I want to go viral for? It would definitely be something to do with. I'm, ba- I'm basically so self-obsessed that all my material is all about me and what's going on in my life. So it would definitely be, it would definitely be something about my child, I imagine at the moment. I'm too unimaginative to think about anything broader than what is literally happening in my house at the moment, which is having a child. Yeah. (laughs) But both times you did it, you really obviously spoke for a lot of people that, that, you know, you articulated how they were feeling 
most importantly, Madonna. And then didn't Jennifer Aniston repost it as well? Yeah, so that was the women tell everything to everyone to fuck off. I should say, I always feel like I yeah. need to say, I didn't write that. I performed it, but I didn't write that mash report bit about women tell everyone to fuck off. So I always feel like I'm I'm stealing the glory. The lady who wrote it was a lady called Emily Jane Clark, who's one of the writers in the show, and it's, she's brilliant. Um, and she, she deserves more credit. So I always feel like I have to be like, Thanks, guys, but not all me. Thank God. I thought you were going to say it was written by, like, you know, a guy. Yeah. Like, oh, please don't let it be written <laughs> Can by a you guy. Imagine? No, God, that would be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> or maybe it's good if it was. I don't know. Depends how you're looking at it. Yeah, yeah. true. Um, yeah, so it, it uh, yeah, it just seems to resonate. It's just, it was, it was, I think it was also, it went out around whenever it was a few years ago, around the time of International Women's Day. So it was sort of just perfectly timed. And then it, it flares up every so often and someone else will repost it. So yeah, it, it got done quite well. Then, Madonna reposted it and then and then yeah Jennifer Aniston most recently so I love it some people are like so Madonna and Jennifer Aniston they're a fan of yours I'm like well they they posted a video they've no idea who I am but okay let's say that yeah they're fans of me we'll go with that sure <laughs> take <laughs> why it why not why not don't try and break it down a yeah. bit yeah you know. <laughs> yeah they are we're BFFs the DMs. Yeah. hilarious yeah and we summer together in mustique <laughs> absolutely that's the thing <laughs> Oh, you should see Jen's place in the Hamptons. Yeah. I mean, mm. <laughs> but what's it like when you're sat at home and then suddenly Madonna shares your work and and then suddenly you know I mean over 128 million people have watched that sketch now. That's that's some going. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I think quite often with um, with anything like that, I'm sure you've had this in sort of like in show busy situations you come back home and then like, I remember like, well, just the other day I'd come back from quite an exciting shoot and I came back and I was within 30 seconds, I'm sorting out washing and doing the bins. And you're like, how's, do my family not know who I am? Like, guys, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a bin woman. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a media sensation. Um, and it, you do immediately get grounded, don't you? It's sort of, and it feels quite odd that you could ever, that you, you can live both lives, that Madonna put something up on you. And then also you're the lady who has to clean the bathrooms. It's a bit, it's, it's odd. It's a really odd dichotomy <laughs> to sort of get your head around. <laughs> yeah. I really quite liked being over there with Madonna. It seemed fabulous, like a root out. Yeah, that's, that's more my vibe. And it's like when people now are like, oh my God, you're in Ted Lasso. It's got like 20 Emmy nominations. And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I am. I'm in that show, but I feel so far removed from the idea of 20 Emmy nominations as I sit in my tracksuit in the suburbs knowing that I'm going to have an omelette for lunch with some leftovers from last night's dinner. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like it's hard to process. <laughs> as much as you're a stand-up, you are also an actor. And you, you alluded to earlier the fact that you know, you go to a lot of auditions, you hear a lot of no. If you were to sit down and actually unpack what being an actor is, it is um, a life of pretty much constant rejection and 95% no's. So when when you sell it like that, um, mass unemployment, <laughs> long stretches of, um, total luck of the draw in some, in some scenarios. Like when you look at it like that, it seems like an insane chosen profession it is isn't it it's really stupid but I suppose the the lucky thing for me is that that's not all I do and because I mm. came although I've always sort of seen myself as an actress before anything else professionally I was a stand-up 
before I did any professional acting. So I think the wonderful thing about stand-up is that you can make your own work. And that's how I sort of started doing it because I wanted to be an actress, but I didn't really know how you started that. I didn't, how, how do you just go from a job in marketing to being an actress? So with stand-up, I was able to, you know, put my name down on open mic nights. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of when I'm on stage. And it felt like a real, you know, there were definitely things I could do myself. I was in charge of it. And that's, yeah, that's the great thing now about being um, an actor and a stand-up and a writer and a presenter um, I mean, as you know, it, these days, everyone's a slash, aren't you? You do a slash everything uh, and you've got to sort of diversify. And I feel... It's called the hyphen generation. We are the multi-hyphenates. Yeah. And I and I feel really yeah. lucky that um, to sort of be able to have fingers in lots of different pies and lots of yeah, different totally. pies that I really enjoy. And it really, it's, it's so varied. And I do, I often try and think back to me at like age 25 where I thought, oh, my life's over because I'd never wanted to have a corporate job and I'm in a corporate job and that's it. And I felt so sort of disillusioned and I thought, well, you know, I'm done. That's, that's me forever. I'm just stuck behind a desk. And I think if I... Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that stupid to feel like your life's over at 25, for God's sake? Just being dramatic. But (laughs) I didn't have any, I didn't know anyone in in the beers. Do you know what I mean? I had no connection. I didn't, it felt so out of my reach um, that it was just like, well, I may as as well not sort of bother really. Um, So yeah, if I think about her, that girl, and I think about where I am now, she would be so freaking stoked um oh my gosh I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't have believed you and i would have just been dying with excitement um and i do i do try not to take that for granted it's a calling isn't it it's like i need to do this this is the most exciting thing i can think to do i need to and show off I don't want to be sat- that's where i come from i need to well, show off yeah <laughs> it may be that it may be as simple as that yeah but i wondered are there other things that you do that you love that just don't make sense but you just don't care because you love it um I don't know that there is I suppose in another world I think nowadays if I had if I had my time again I would perhaps want to be like a midwife and I think that in itself could be seen as you know that's really hard work and you know when things go bad it's awful that kind of doesn't make sense to want to do that but I think um I think maybe that's why I would have liked to uh, like to have ended up or a teacher which is also bloody thankless and hard work but great holidays so makes sense though makes it yeah it's making sense sense. that does make sense yeah (laughs) like for me if somebody said to me i love to jump out of an airplane to me that just doesn't make sense if somebody said to me i'm gonna push you out of an airplane you're gonna love it i'm like no i won't i'm not doing it but some people absolutely you know that's that's their idea of the greatest thrill it's funny because you wouldn't think it from my career choices but i'm really risk averse so i wouldn't yeah, I'd never want to do it. How can you say that? I know, that? it doesn't make sense, does it? But like, to do like, um, like a, no. I'd never want to bungee jump or do, you know, anything like that. I'd never want to go on a motorbike. It's too dangerous. I'd never go on like a, you know, on a little like Vespa on holiday. It's very dangerous and they're all unregulated. I'm really sort of sensible Sally in many ways. It's really, I'm really boring. Um, I wish in a way I was a bit more footloose and fancy free, like not being the one who says, you know, let's, we need to leave the party. My husband always wants to stay and I'm always the one at sort of half past 10, like, Oh, should I get our coats then? Like, um, yeah, I'm the boring one. I wish yeah. I could be a bit. You're yeah. the cardigan. I'm the cardigan. I'm the cardigan in the family. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. And people don't think that. They don't, they think I'd be a, like a real good laugh on a night out. And I suppose, you know, occasionally I'm till around half past 10. And then that's quite enough. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like organised fun. Organised fun. Yeah, that's me. Oh, what a riot to be married to. <laughs> 
how does it work on those nights, right? Because you know, trying to, uh, especially when drink has been taken, someone's going, no, let's stay. We're having a great time. And you're like, no, 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 no. Um, it's We're going. much like having a, a child. It's all about boundaries. So I will have to set the parameters before we leave. And I will say, I would like to leave at this time. And then we have to discuss it before because if I suddenly spring, I want to leave at half past 10 and he's like in the fourth rows of it. Absolutely not. So it's all about compromise and managing expectations. <laughs> in other words, uh, no, actually, it's, it's not necessarily, that doesn't sound so compromisey, more like I tell him in advance what he's going to do. Yeah, maybe do. that's more like. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I don't know where you compromise. <laughs> Shh, don't say that bit. No one has noticed. <laughs> I love that. We compromise. No, you don't. No, not really. <laughs> uh, but we both get a good night's sleep um, and that's that's important. <laughs> where you're at right now, sleep is everything. Do you have the I had more sleep than you competition conversation? Yeah, but we try and we we're quite good. We um we we split the you know, one person is in charge one night and we, we flip flop it. So one person does bedtime in the night and the morning and then we get the next one off sort of thing. So we are try we're quite equal. It's a good democracy. Um, so yeah, when it, when it works, it works well, luckily, but I think that's because we've, we've, we've only got one. I think I, I can imagine it can get much more complicated when there's two of the little buggers around. Oh God. I think then you move to a whiteboard in the kitchen with kind of much clearer direction. Well, what I think you really need is a third parent. I think we need a third, <laughs> we need a third person in the marriage, but just platonic and mostly focused on childcare. Basically, that's an au pair, isn't it? That's what I've described. I want an it au pair. Is. <laughs> I don't want another baby. I want some stuff. Yeah, yeah that's what I want. I want stuff. Yeah. <laughs> How does it work with Phil's work? Because he's a news reporter in pre-COVID times. I'm sure he spent a lot of time traveling. Yeah, he did. Um, and then, yeah, COVID hit and it was hard to sort of do that from home. Um, but mm. then he, he was sort of working full time and then I was had to sort of put all my stuff on hold and uh, just look after our child because obviously nurseries were shut. So that was a tricky old balance um, to gain when we're both, you know, and I, I still wanted to work. I still wanted to write. I still wanted to create. I hate that word. <laughs> Why do you hate that word? <laughs> because it sounds so twatty, doesn't it? I'm a creator. I'm actually in my heart, I'm a creator. Like, it's close. Um, I'm just too British and cringy. I could, I, you know, an, an American would, wouldn't give a shit. They'd revel in that. Bit of that on a t-shirt. They would, they would. Um, so yeah, to be able to to still find time to write and get time to myself was really hard not to have that in the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, I did get to spend some time with my daughter, which was quite nice. Uh, I don't know. I mean, overall, I wouldn't want to do it again, but we survived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's probably the best, best any of us could have hoped for, right? Exactly. Just come out of the end of it and go, don't want to do it again, but we survived. Exactly that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How does it work when Phil's away in pre-COVID life and traveling? I mean, that's a lot to juggle for you guys with trying to have one parent at least at home. Yeah, yeah. We're Otherwise, getting... social services will come around. Yeah, I've heard that's frowned upon, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we are, yeah, we just, you know, sort of try and make it work. For You know, we both like our careers, so we, we and appreciate that. Um, and we, yeah, we, we try and make it work. Luckily, we haven't had, touch wood, any major clashes of uh, schedules where it's, you know, made it impossible for someone to do something that they want to do. Um, but yeah, we're, we are, we are, could be a good team, I think. Um, and I'm lucky with how, I feel lucky with how we've sort of navigated the complicated work of working and having a child. And it's very, you know, it's equal. And I would, you know, if anyone said, is Phil hands-on, I would want to punch him in the face because we're equal parents and we, we do do 50-50. 
Um, That's great. Yeah, it's really really good. And we've worked hard for that. And I'm sure we've both pulled each other up on it when we haven't. Um, But to make it work, you have to. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, the resentment is always just so close to the surface. You have to try and, you know, knock it on the head. And I think, you know, when we're at our best, we do we do really well, I think. And I'm really yeah, proud of us for that. Oh, God, how sincere. Gross. But, you know, it's, it's true because I think, you know, a lot of people that, you know, don't talk about the difficulties of trying to... You go from being the two of you having quite an independent and you know, arguably selfish life because you've only got each other to think of. So then having to share and and work out how you're going to do it with a with a little one in the mix. And it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to figure out. When I think about it, you're like, right, so you're meant to do exactly what you did before, but you have another human. Like how, it's mad. Like yeah. it's insane that how is society is not built for this at all. This yeah. is where the third person comes in. You just, <laughs> you need someone around. Yeah, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. I actually can't. I think all parents think this. When you look back before you've had kids, like, well, my God, I had so much time. I know. What did I do? And what did I do? And the freedom to just, yeah. you know, jet off anywhere. and it didn't Spontaneity. Matter. Remember that? Oof. Oh, no. Not at all. Awful. Closest um, I get to that now is if it's... I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a sad end to that sentence. <laughs> it's been 13 years, Ellie, oh. since I had any spontaneity. I wouldn't, I mean, I definitely wouldn't change it. But I think, you know, there was also this thing where people feel compelled to go, oh yeah, having a baby brought us closer together. Sometimes that isn't the case. Sometimes it can almost pull you apart before you find where together belongs again. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think the best bit, I think the most together, from my experience that you are, is when you're, the year that I was pregnant was wonderful. It felt really special and magical. And it was all about, you know, hopeful and excited. And then, you know, basically having the baby actually kind of ruins it. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of the baby is the best bit in a way. Um, But I have, you know, I have, I'm I'm on the tour, I'm on tour at the moment, sort of finishing the tail end of a tour that's been postponed 3000 times due to the (laughs) pandemic. And the show is all about having um, a newborn. And obviously my child's basically old enough to perform the show herself now. But um, (laughs) in the show, I ask if there's any other parents in, quite often there'll be pregnant people in. And you always do, like I had a lady the other night, she was like eight months pregnant and you could hear, and I was like, how pregnant? She's eight months and all the the mums in the room are like, oh, because you're like, oh. It's all so nice, but we know what's coming. It's sort of, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, good luck. Um, yeah, I think that that was the best bit. But yeah, I think, yeah, it's a, it's really testing on a relationship. And that's something I hadn't considered actually before I had a kid, how y- y- you can sort of, um, I talk about this in the book, it's like me and you become, um, we were like sort of ships that passed in the night. We're like shift workers, one yeah. baby, one if you're not. And it was like, I how I felt, I felt so sad. I sort of mourned our old life. It was like, I, I felt like I missed my husband, even though we we're in the same house. It was very odd sort of mourning, yeah, your old, your old existence and your old relationship. But it's like, you know, you're like a snake that's shed a skin. You have to leave that mm. old you behind. That's going to become yeah. someone's shoe or handbag, right? You yeah. just have to just leave that and move on. You're a new snake, all right? You can't find your own way through the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> It's so true though, isn't it? Absolutely, and I, yeah. yeah. It, it takes, it takes, um, you know, that expression, it takes a village, you used to think, you're right. No, it fucking does, I tell you. If, if there was a village, life would be so much easier. And I yeah. think, you know, do you live near your parents? Are you close to family? Yeah, we've well? moved back actually since the pandemic when it was like, it takes a village, but you've, I, I'm not allowed to have access to the village. That's what the <laughs> pandemic was like. Um, 
so yeah ha- having um locked down in our we were in a little house in hackney and we were like it just made us sort of go we want some more space and we want to be near family so we've moved back to where i'm from where near my parents so yeah my parents live about 10 minutes away um which is lovely like it's they the, to see my daughter i miss london so much i really do but i can't when i look at how beneficial it's been to my daughter to have that access to my mum and dad and to build that relationship it's really lovely yeah yeah you know life changes doesn't it your needs Mm. change but what parts of what aspects of living in London is it that you miss the most you think the just the vibrancy and when you wander I don't know just a London on a sunny day it's just I love being up there I mean do you know what I'm only like 30 minutes on the train it's really not that far but it just feels very different here like it's there's not the same sort of cafe culture um it's just sort of a bit more standardized, a bit more high streety. And I miss, yeah, sort of, you know, we lived in a really like trendy part of Hackney where it was, you know, it was turmeric lattes on every street corner, that sort of thing. <laughs> beards as well as, everywhere. Yeah, oh, beards and top knots and kombucha being uh, sold kombucha. out on bicycles. Yeah, just that sort of vibe. Even though, you know, we would mock it. We would mock things for being like Uber East London. But oh my God, what I would give for a barista with a top knot right now, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> could so stir I'm, in some turmeric oh. yeah <laughs> and I, I missed that and we had a lovely little road really lovely um it felt like a little a little community whereas here in the suburbs everyone's a bit so far it's a bit more everyone keeps themselves to themselves everyone's been really nice but it's just not as um we had such lovely neighbors in London I really missed them <laughs> <laughs> did you ever think about relocating back to Phil's uh homeland of australia australia yeah it's a funny one that isn't it so my my so i married to australian my sister also married an australian man very weird i know so they yeah they emigrated just before christmas actually my sister and her husband and kids so they've now uh they're now in queensland (gasps) yeah they've gone they've done it so what's the update uh, i feel like we're uh, we're on um uh you know what's that program wanted down under yeah Yeah. (laughs) um the update is, um, well, they're having a lovely time and the whole family left behind are devastated. <laughs> um, but that is kind of true. Like it is, they have a lovely life and they live, you know, right by the beach and it's gorgeous and they have, you know, kangaroos on the way to school and stuff. But we, yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's really tricky. It's sort of this strange grieving for them in a way because it's like we've, my, you know, we've not, you know, it's, it sounds dramatic. I don't want to compare it to anyone's actual loss because of course everyone is safe and well, but just to lose access to my sister and my niece and nephew, especially if my, my mum and dad have found that quite tricky, not having my niece and nephew near. So I, I don't know. Us moving especially when you've only really just learned to like their children as well through having one of your own. Exactly. Because before that, that you were quite cold to her kids and it hurt her feelings, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I was a bit of a shit auntie. But I do, and I, I wrote that in the book. I said, <laughs> oh, in the acknowledgements at the end, I said, I'm really sorry I took you for granted all those years because I really did. She was right, right down the road. Um, and I, I did take her for granted and now she's gone. So if you've got a sister, just give her a cuddle because they might piss off to Australia soon and you never know. <laughs> um, has, has there been a part of you that's been thinking, hey, Phil, it's going so well in Queensland for my sister. What do you reckon? Oh, it's so complicated, that decision, isn't it? Because it's huge, you know, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge one. I mean, never say never, but um, right now, right now I'm going to, I'm sticking with the suburbs and uh Yeah. Things are, things are good here for us at the moment. We've moved to the suburbs. We had deer in the garden yesterday, Kate. Can you imagine? 
all we had in in Hackney, we'd literally have a bird in the garden maybe once a year, and it was like we would all go to the window to watch it because we would be utterly thrilled that there was a bit of wildlife. <laughs> there's a bird, there's a bird in the tree. Um, yeah, well, we have deer and badgers and foxes, and wow. yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely to look out and see all that. We have urban foxes here because they've just got massive sass and attitude, and you go out into the garden and they're like, you know, just gladly digging up your your plants. And you go, oi! And it'll just turn and look at you like, Can you yeah. see? <laughs> what? And what? What are you going to do, mate? And then just stand there and just, just have a shit right in front yeah. of you and then trot off. And you're like, okay. Do you know, I remember okay. like, I, uh, I went for a run the other day and I sort of ran through a, cat, a field of cows and I was like, how lovely to be like seeing this nature. And then I was thinking, I remember one specific nursery journey in London where I was pushing my daughter's buggy um, and we we went past um, a seagull eating a dead pigeon. And I thought, yeah, it's a bit different. It's a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh, Ellie, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, the book is out now. Uh, and it's doing very well. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's you've got to be got to be happy with that. That's got to go on the website, surely. Oh, I mention that to my parents at all times. If anyone, uh, excuse me, I am a Sunday Times bestseller, so I think you should be listening to me. Actually, so yeah, <laughs> pretty smart about that one. I'm really, I'm absolutely delighted. Yeah, yeah, almost a parenting expert actually. That you're published. Oh God, don't say that. <laughs> Never, never. Um, thank you so much, Ellie. Um, continue success. I hope we see you back in Ted Lasso. Me too. Let's wait and see. I think Ted could do us some more sex, and I think you're the woman <laughs> for it. What a line. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Cheers. That's it for this week's White Wine Question Time. As always, the show is brought to you with me, Kate Thornton, Libby Knowles, and Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell. I'll be back next week with more great chat. Until then, if you've got five minutes on your hands, you fancy rating and reviewing us. Oh, I mean, don't let me stop you. I'll say thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. Listener.